Hey guys, do you have a screenplay you need feedback on? Well, you are in luck. I, Julio, the half of the contrarians that speaks with an accent, am doing official screenplay coverage now. And if you're a listener of the show, you'll get a discount. Just email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com and tell us which is your favorite episode of the podcast and why. Turnaround is about two weeks and you'll get detailed notes that are even more thorough than what we do in the show. Although it'll also be less funny. For more information, email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com or visit our website, wearethecontrarians.com, and click on the Julio Reads Your Scripts link. Your voice is beautiful. See some hustle. Coach, we don't have whack bat where I'm from. What are the rules? There's no whack bat on the other side of the river? No, we mostly just uh, run grass sprints or play acorns. Huh. Well, it's real simple. Basically, there's three grabbers, three taggers, five twig runners, and the player at whack bat. Center tagger lights a pine cone, chucks it over the basket, and the whack batter tries to hit the cedar stick off the cross rock. Then the twig runners dash back and forth until the pine cone burns out and the umpire calls hot box. Finally, at the end, you count up however many score downs it adds up to and divide that by nine. Got it. Go in for ash. Substitution! Ash, come out. You need a breather. What? I'm out? What? I still feel good, coach. Let me finish this eighth. Come on. Step out. Step out. Let's go. Welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Be sure to check out The Contrarians on iTunes, where you can rate, review, and subscribe. We're also on SoundCloud, and don't forget about our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Be sure to keep up with the pretentious ramblings of Alex and Julio on Twitter, at JamesAlexMattis, and at Ovnio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Time for the podcast. Hello and welcome back to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Uh, I would hope at this point, if you're a regular listener, you know the drill and that my name is Alex and that, of course, I'm joined by my co-host and friend Julio. Uh, For first-time listeners, we welcome you. Uh, And my name is Alex and I am joined by my co-host and friend Julio. And Julio, how are you doing this evening? I'm I'm doing okay. I'm a little confused. I don't know. I don't know what the cuss we watched, Alex. Yeah. Um, did I make you cringe there? Yeah, you did make me cringe there. That that was really cussing annoying, what you just did. Uh, much like the majority of uh, the 80-minute film we just had to sit through. Uh, we are here today. Uh, Wes Anderson makes, at long last, his Contrarian's debut as really the only movie I would agree to watch of Wes Anderson's filmography. And uh, already regret doing so is Fantastic Mr. Fox. Uh, the 2009 uh, Oscar-nominated film, Fantastic Mr. Fox. What was it nominated for? Best song? Uh, best hope? animated feature. No best song? Was that an original song? I guess I I, didn't, I don't know if it did. It was nominated for uh, Best Animated Feature for both the Golden Globe and Academy Award. It lost to can you, 2009. What would have been the animated movie? Can you guess it? Up. Bingo, bango. Great year. Uh, So... Yeah, Julio, set the table here. What what are we looking at today with Fantastic Mr. Fox? 93% on the Rotten Tomatoes. Um, we'll pick some some quotes, starting with uh, Laramie Legel from Film.com, who says, A boisterous and magnificent treat. Jason Bailey from Flavor Wire. Boisterous, yes. 
dude, you like the most of the quotes. I they're as pretentious as Wes Anderson's <laughs> filmmaking style. I believe it. Lots of uh, ten dollar words in there um, that I can probably not pronounce. So that's why I didn't pick them. Uh, Jason Bailey from. Flavorwire says, Fantastic Mr. Fox may be the purest distillation of Anderson's specific, inimitable its style. Uh, Brian D. Johnson from McLean's Magazine, it's an action movie of sorts. The story is fired by Tarantino-like bursts of comic action and a brisk off-kilter wit. What is it with the recent movies we've done in Tarantino comparisons? I don't know. 200 it's- Cigarettes was the domino that started the train, the fucking effect there. I think it's just one of the things, it just shows how much Tarantino has impacted a well, generation was, of reviewers. I was about to say, right now, with all those recent interviews that have come out with him, it's not the... I realize that uh, article was probably written before then. But. Yeah, Brian D. Johnson had no idea how Tarantino <laughs> felt about sex with a 13-year-old, apparently. Uh, Brian Webster from Apollo Guide says, Fantastic Mr. Fox gets the deluxe treatment in its combo pack release, which gives you the movie on Blu-ray, standard DVD, and a digital copy. All in- <laughs> <laughs> All in the same package. I just had to include that one. <laughs> that is incredible. Thank you. That was one of like the fucking fresh tomatoes. Yes. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, Louise Keller from Urban Cinephile says, It's short. It's fantastic. At 87 delightful, subversive, and hilarious minutes, there's so much attitude in this stop-motion puppet fantasy, the hearts of children and adults alike will soar to the heavens. Hmm. That's, that's a little too much. I was about to say, was this at all geared towards children? I I don't think so. There's a lot of really gruesome stuff that we'll get into, but I wouldn't call it a kid's movie. No. Um, William Goss from Orlando Weekly says, this is about as quote-unquote fantastic as it gets. Boo. And finally, Paul Chambers from CNN Radio says... So much fun, I can hardly stand it. A great film with wonderful voice performances by the entire cast. You have got to see it. Paul Chambers, CNN. <laughs> he signed it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for signing off. Uh, I guess he wouldn't be our titular character, but our main character, Mr. Fox. Mr. Fox. He's not yet fantastic. Right. He's he's, he's knighted by Junie Dench at the end of the movie. What's his, his first name? Is he Fox? They call him Fox. Fantastic. <laughs> Is his name Foxy Fox? That would be ridiculous, but, you know, Mario Mario, it, it could be. Uh, I haven't read a single Roald Dahl uh, book, so I don't know if it's into that sort of quirky, whimsical. I, I would absolutely believe that Wes Anderson would name somebody Foxy Fox, but mm-hmm. I don't know if Roald Dahl would. I guess the source material with this, was this a, it was obviously a children's book. Was it a short story or like a... I I have this feeling that all Roald Dahl books are... Short? Yeah. Wait, I don't know. I mean, Charlie and Chocolate Factory. Yeah. It's a lot of stuff that happens there, so. Open for interpretation. Novella. <laughs> but our main character, Mr. Fox, is voiced by George Clooney. Uh, his wife, Felicity, is, jo- um, excuse me, voiced by Meryl Streep, who Julio and I had a like, little conversation during the movie. To my knowledge, she's not done voice work for any other animated film. I, I can't. I think that she just... She picks her projects very carefully, and she did it for Anderson, and that's it. Uh, They are a married couple. The film begins with them uh, raiding a chicken coop at a local farm. Um, It looks like Mr. Fox's line of work is just that. He's a fox that raids chicken coops. 
that's not a line of work. That's just that's just his existence. I mean, Striving to survive. He's he's a fox and he kills chicken. I I had one of my biggest problems with this movie is that I had a hard time figuring out the world, the the rules of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, is he? He keeps claiming that he's a wild animal, but he seems civilized enough that he holds a job later on. He, the way he eats, he eats like an animal. But he talks like George Clooney. Yeah. So I'm. I don't know. And then about an hour into the movie, it turns out that he can actually talk to humans. I mean, I could completely understand that he and the other animals would understand each other. But so we did confirm that that the humans understand what he says. I thought so. I I, I thought it was there was some sort of. Oh, that's right. At the end, because he asks if the the kids there and whatnot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They, they play him the recording and everything. Yeah. That's Played for laughs, but it is just you know. Uh, we have this Wes Anderson style of dialogue, but then when he eats, he does just rip his food to shreds. So, well, so when he gets into a fight with Bill Murray, like they growl at that's each other. Right. So that's I'm, right. I just, I don't think that the movie tonally, was, it, there's just no consistency. Right? Am I watching a Fox? Or am I watching a guy? Am I watching Fox News? <laughs> Fake news. Fake news. No, wait. Fox News is the real news. Right. Uh, so Felicity says that she's pregnant and she wants uh, Fox to enter a new line of work. So we go to two years later or twelve. Fox years, excuse me, as they make a point to throughout the film that our time is six times or Fox time is six times faster than human time. But it doesn't really mean anything in this story. No, it just other than just to set the stage that they now have a 12 year old boy. Right. I guess that's that's the one time that it counts. Who's different. (laughs) Played by, of course, Jason Schwartzman. The eternal 12 year old boy. Um the son, Ash, that we go forward 12 years for their lives, and uh, Jason Schwartzman plays their 12-year-old son, Ash. Uh, now that Mr. Fox has given up the life of raiding chickens, he writes a local column for a newspaper, uh, and they live in basically a foxhole. And as they would. Yes. Again. As again. being foxes, yes, they would. Right. But this seems to be an issue for mm-hmm. some reason. <laughs> I, again, I don't understand. He has no problem killing chickens and like eating chickens in a very savage way or whatever but somehow living in a hole is beneath him and mm-hmm. he wants to move up in the world and actually live I wouldn't say like a like a human because he ends up living in a tree. Yeah. I I don't understand this world Alex. So with a strong desire to move up in life uh Mr. Fox says he wants to live in a tree. Uh so he meets with the local realtor and eventually they move into a tree. And apparently this is, you know, high-rise living for the foxes. Do foxes do that? I don't know. I've never seen it, personally. I just... Uh, that's another thing that was confusing. Just, I guess, maybe that's on me. I'm mm-hmm. just not as knowledgeable of the animal kingdom to really know when the movie was completely fabricating something and when the movie was really leaning into what nature does. I, I've never life. seen a fox wear uh, slacks and a button-up tee. Or button-up uh, dress shirt with a uh, a tie. That doesn't mean that it, it doesn't happen. I mean, that's very true. It's a it's a very high possibility. Highly. Our little dog wears clothes, so you know you never know. I'm anticipating Disney's eventual release of one of those Disney nature documentaries, <laughs> Foxes. <laughs> <laughs> There's just one in a fucking yellow mustard tie hanging out. Uh, Ash's cousin, Felicity's nephew, Christofferson, comes to visit. And immediately right off the bat, you can see he's taller than Ash and seems a bit more socially adjusted. He also sounds like Tobey Maguire, which led me to say, hey, you know who that is? It's Tobey Tobey Maguire. Maguire. (laughs) Turns out it's not Tobey Maguire. It's just some dude 
Yeah. That's, his last name is Anderson, so he might be related to Wes Anderson. I mean, it's it's possible. Is he is he known for uh, nepotism? Does he have uh, that Judd Apatow would bone? It, would it surprise you? No. Nothing about Wes Anderson's filmmaking surprises me. Um, but from the tree, there's a, a view of three nearby farms, uh, Boggins, uh, Bunce, and Beans. Uh, they're three individual farmers, all known for different things. There's uh, chicken at one. The other one is... Uh, is it duck? Duck and turkey, maybe? That's right. And, and then... Um, the last one is something and cider. Yeah. Uh, bean produces cider. It's just you know a, a big hall full of this, and we get these quirky mini montages in the standard vein of Wes Anderson to introduce these characters. Um, shockingly enough, it is a Wes Anderson movie, so all of them are white. Uh, you know, par for the course, uh, and we get our introduction that this is basically like a recovering addict. Uh, George Clooney wants to steal again. Right. It's. George Clooney proving that he has a more limited range than people think because once again he's playing the criminal that has to do one last heist and he basically uh he just convinces the the super at his brand new tree to become his accomplice and go with him to raid these farms. Mm-hmm. And that's that's at no point do they establish why he should trust this man. Right. No, or he's, uh, he's, possum. Is a possum, right. right. Yeah, it's just he has absolutely no skills. Mm-mm. You would think that Clooney would be better off just going by himself. Yeah. But he's been through 13 oceans already by the time this movie was released. He's ready to just be oceans alone. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, you know, all this is is if Wes Anderson directed one of the oceans movies. It's animated and quirky, but still George Clooney is just phoning in the performance. Yeah, it's George Clooney, which is so distracting. I have an issue with. Uh, just known actors taking over animation, taking over. It used to be that you just didn't know mm-hmm. the the voices when you were watching an animated movie, and that was great because it was it allowed you to be immersed in the fantasy of the animation. But here, if I see a fox that sounds like George Clooney, then I'm automatically I just have that that image of George Clooney and all the baggage that he brings to a role. Mm-hmm. That's not fun. I I want a fox. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, Jason Schwartzman's one thing because he is kind of foxy, like a like a little twelve year old fox. I could see that, um, but yeah, he can't stay away. Like I said, a recovering addict. He wants to go and once more raid these farms, get the chickens, get the gooses, the ducks, the turkeys, what have you. And so he does. He coerces Kylie, the possum, his uh, superintendent, into helping him. Yeah, uh, and of course. Meryl Streep doesn't catch on at first, but... But as the amount of chickens and turkeys in their pantry grows by the day, she eventually certainly catches on to what's going on and catches them almost red-handed coming back from a heist one night where they they have their fucking ski masks on. Yeah, um, he... Uh, I think that, yeah, when she catches him by then, he's uh, he's already recruited also uh, Christopherson, mm. the, the cousin that's visiting because he's a natural athlete. And I guess, well, like you said, that's one of the running jokes in the movie and sort of a subplot is how uh, superior he is in every aspect to Jason Schwartzman's little fox. Ash. Uh, Ash. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, So that's uh, that, that plot line, by the way, it was just kind of annoying. I, I found that the payoff was really condescending to short people. 
let's just get it out of the way right now, which is that uh, Ash, Jason Schwartzman, just fails at everything. And then at the very end of the movie, he becomes valuable for one thing, which mm-hmm. is like there's a small space and he's he's small enough that he can get through yeah. and do that. That's pretty much the only good thing he does in the movie, but the movie treats it as this giant triumph for short people everywhere. <laughs> as somebody that's short himself, I find that a little offensive. You know, give him a, a true hero moment, mm-hmm. not just like, oh, I happen that that hole happens to be about the size that I am, so I'll I'll get in. And also, I find it uh, condescending and offensive that George Clooney thinks he can out outsmart Meryl Streep. I don't know if there's a human alive that can outsmart Meryl Streep. Yeah, I, it was it was stretching believability. The fact that she didn't catch him right away. Well, eventually, the farmers catch on to what's happening as their supplies are depleting. Um, one character we are introduced to very briefly during these uh, raids is uh, the Bean Security, which is a rat that's played by a southern drawn Willem, Willem Dafoe. Dafoe. <laughs> and this character makes little to no sense. Did Farmer Bean hire this rat to be security? Did he just take it upon himself? That's what I'm telling you. Like I don't understand. You would think that a farmer would consider rats even more of a problem than foxes. I don't know. I'm not a farmer. Mm. I, I don't know farmers. But they're pests, right? I mean, there's nothing. Why would you do that? But the the rat certainly acts like he's an actual employee, not like he's a freelancer trying to yeah. catch some favor from the from the farmer. So yeah, that's really weird. And again, like a lot of Wes Anderson things, I believe also we skipped over an Owen Will- uh, Owen Wilson cameo, but as the coach, these don't really apply to the story whatsoever. Right? It's just uh... he teaches them how to play Quidditch or some shit. Yes, that's what I thought. I thought Quidditch, which you know that reminds me, of the lead farmer, the one that gets the most lines, mm-hmm. the really evil one. Uh, I am ninety nine percent sure that he's played by the guy that played Dumbledore. Well, also, that reminds me, he is the evil one, and he's also smoking cigarettes the entire time, which is, I know is a big no-no for kids' films, so just another thing in terms of... Uh... Okay, well, I mean, let's count all the no-nos <laughs> for kids' films that are here in this movie, because the way they, they, when you see them stealing the chickens, that's disgusting. They George Clooney gives uh, the possum specific instructions, which is that you, you break the chicken's neck in one bite. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, that doesn't work because the possum doesn't have teeth, or doesn't doesn't have doesn't have the same kind of teeth as a wolf, right? So or excuse me, a it. fox. So he's uh, so he's unsuccessfully trying to break the chicken's neck, and mm-hmm. then the fox has to show him how to do it. And the whole thing is happening in a kids' movie. Yeah, and it's like, oh, that's funny that you don't say fuck, you say cuss. Yeah, but you're okay with showing and implying that the massacre of countless and chickens. poisoning these dogs. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, that's the other thing that this movie. It just the way they write this rule book is like all over the place because so the foxes, the possums, the badgers, the rats, they're sentient beings. But are the chickens sentient beings? Is he committing murder when <laughs> when, when he kills the chickens, when he eats them? And they eat the depiction of how they eat. Mm-hmm. It's pretty gross. Like yeah. there's feathers flowing everywhere and the they sound. just rip it apart. Yeah. So not a kid's movie. I am surprised. The only thing that you didn't see was any sort of implication of, of the animals having sex. That's the only thing for a sort of realistic depiction of uh, <laughs> wildlife. You didn't see Mr. Fox just having sex with, I guess, any female fox. Felicity. Felicity. Yeah. His wife. Or is he true to the George Clooney character? Is he not bound to one woman? That's what I, I mean. You're a fox. Fox don't get married. 
the bear's hungry, he'll eat. Um, so in addition to Felicity catching on to this, obviously the farmers know their supplies have been depleted. They band together in an attempt to rid themselves of Mr. Fox. Their original plan is they're just going to camp out outside of his tree. They know where he lives. They're just going to unload fire when they see him come out. Uh, George Clooney comes out. He senses it. He smells all three of them. Uh, tries to run away, but in the process has his tail shut off in a pretty in a kid's movie. Yeah, and it's not even like cute. Like the, the no, tail's a gross. bloody stump. <laughs> like they have to stitch him up like MacGyver style, and also the tail has like a little bloody end to it. It's uh, right, and then as if that wasn't enough for the rest of the movie, the lead farmer just wears the like the Leatherface tail. style. He's yeah. wearing the tail. Yeah, he has it like a tie, like a necktie. These obsessive farmers who clearly have nothing more to do with their time, again, three old white men, uh, decide they're going to dig up this tree and exhausting thousands of dollars and countless man hours, they spend this time uh, renting farm equipment, digging, um, purchasing explosives. uh, It's like that... uh Paying uh, men to do this. Uh, Yeah, it's like the Bugs Bunny cartoon where he's he's going at war with... I Elmer guess Fudd. Elmer Fudd, and they keep like upping the ante, and so he starts with like a gun, and then a bazooka, <laughs> and then like tank, and everything. It's like that. The farmers keep throwing everything, and it's just a fox. So I don't understand how this could be so much trouble for them. They're men. <laughs> yeah, for real. And then also, not only this, they're three men against uh, a family of foxes and a possum. But then they have a family uh, of foxes in disarray because by now Meryl Streep has caught on to Clooney. They're not talking. They're they're fighting. And and then Ash and Christopherson are at each other's throats. Right. So it's not even them fighting as a unit. How could you not pick off these foxes? But then again, it's the three of them and 108 of their farm help. There's so 111 people cannot eradicate the world of these uh, four foxes and a possum. Who continue to dig? They just keep digging underground to find, basically making their own tunnel. Um, but again, you know, like you said, tensions are running hot, and then we run into um, the other animals from the neighborhood. Uh, Bill Murray plays a badger. We're introduced to earlier in the film. Um, basically, just a couple faces we've seen, but haven't gotten to really know. But what's happened throughout this is George Clooney's ruined it for everybody, and now they're driving all of the animals out of the area. Yeah, it's it's weird. Uh, I mean, I know that it's just it's just me complaining about stuff that doesn't make sense in the movie, but that's because that's all you do when you're watching this movie. You just keep adding up the nonsense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so really, I guess the explanation as to why these three men and their army of farmhands haven't been able to catch the fox and his family right away is because foxes have a superpower, which is digging. Yeah. And you just see them dig and dig and... I don't think this I know almost for a fact. There's no way that real foxes can dig like that, like these guys dig. They do massive tunnels. Like when when they do the wide shot of what the tunnels look like, it's mm-hmm. like like an ant farm, right? <laughs> and uh, and then eventually they get to a point where, yeah, they join with all the other animals and they're all starving. And George Clooney has this idea of like, oh, well, let me show you what we can do. And they just dig more tunnels and break into the farms and start, they just basically steal everything. Mm-hmm. Why don't the foxes rule the world at this point? Uh, n- yeah, for they, real. They can clearly outsmart the, the over 100 people. Can you imagine if they put that effort into just everything? I want to see these foxes against the aliens from Independence Day. They would just dig into the spaceships? Exactly. 
Uh, you know, these foxes don't have Randy Quaid, so I think it'd be more of a fair fight. Uh, and just see who's more ingenuitive. Uh, I, I think you just put uh, Fox George Clooney behind the wheel of one of the spaceships, and that's it. I mean, well, what, as the movie shows, you know, he's a coward. He won't go on a suicide mission. So that's true. Yeah. That's true. Um, as we mentioned, these farmers have dropped everything in their life to pursue George Clooney and his family, so much so that the fucking news is covering this. I mean, what is not happening in this town? To, Get the, I mean, I realize 2009 was a simpler time than we're living in in 2018, but well, Jesus but Christ. At the same time, like somehow the news is not that there is these super-powered foxes wreaking <laughs> havoc in, at the farms. The news is that, hey, these farmers have formed a coalition to get rid of foxes. <laughs> <laughs> They're just trying to blow up, and, and there's not one PETA representative there. I call bullshit, Wes Anderson. Um. During the, it's a montage with this news coverage kind of kicks off uh, more and more digging and the farmers growing more and more impatient. And then because it's a goddamn Wes Anderson movie, we have a, a banjo infused musical number as we watch them dig and just random bystanders who are there to watch the action or just gathered on a campfire uh as if I wasn't taken out of the realism of this film already. Right. It's the one moment though that feels real is that when the song ends, the the bad farmer comes in and just says, That was a bad song, Petey. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, at least we're all on the same page here. But through all this, he figures out basically what he's gonna do in that he looks at his cider machine and realizes basically he's watching the the cider flow. And it comes to mind, he's just basically going to flush him out, um, Caddyshack style. Stick right. a big hose in the hole and just knock him out. Why would you use cider? Why not just water? Why would you waste all that cider? I did not understand that one bit. I guess that's his calling card. He's the wet bandit, kind of like Marv and Daniel Stern. Or wait, those are the same people. What, what's <laughs> what's Joe Pesci's name? Stu? <laughs> <laughs> Stuart and Marvin, the wet bandits. <laughs> Harry. It's Harry, Harry yeah, yeah, that's it. What the hell happened to your face? Yeah, that's it. Perfect. Ash wants to prove his worth, I believe, to Christofferson, but also to his father. So he and Christofferson uh, develop a plan. Uh, a guy is that they are going to go and retrieve his tail. They assume it's on the mantle of... Uh, Farmer Bean, the, yeah. the cider man. So these foxes, they, they have almost everything, but they don't have a TV. Mm. If they had a TV, they would have seen that the guy was wearing it around his neck and just have it on display. They have little mini champagne bottles. They have plates. They have pianos. Uh, they have books. They have a goddamn newspaper that's in circulation, but... No TV. No TV. That, that, whoa, slow down there, computer kid. That's way beyond our time. So come on, they're foxes. So they go missing. Uh, they go in for the, the tail. They go into the Bean household, and that's when they learn. They see on TV, oh, he's wearing it as a necktie. But they also, um, the scent of their Some biscuits, sort of cookies. Apple tasty treats. Uh, ginger snaps. Uh, apple Sorry. ginger snaps. And they go and just devour those in a rather disgusting way, as we mentioned, the, the fox way of eating. Uh, Mother Bean comes home and catches them. And pulls out this giant fucking knife, and you think, you know, the worst is at hand. This was a bit of misleading um, in a scary extent because Ash comes back with no problem, 
but there's no Christofferson, and you just see his shoes left behind. Right, and you were raising somebody lose a tail, mm-hmm. so it could easily be it could that mean the, anything. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Farmer Bean though basically says, you know, hold him captive; they'll come for him, type thing. He's treating the foxes like humans, <laughs> I don't like Bane in the Dark Knight Rises. He'll come for her. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't make any sense because he sends a ransom note, <laughs> and. Uh, if we mentioned on here before that Alex doesn't much care for Wes Anderson movies, uh, yeah, they fucking cut out, you know, a la Ransom with Mel Gibson. They cut out a bunch of letters from magazines and say, you know, if you want to see the kid alive again, show up here. So they retort with a letter where they cut out the letters and Jesus Christ. Um, but this is after that happens after they're flushed out. Because right, right. they're having their big dinner, and George Clooney, of course, the uh, fucking always ever the glory hog, has to make a toast. And during all this, you know, there's uh, some rattling. And then he realizes the kids are gone, and then they're the cider comes through, and they're all basically pushed out through a sewer grate. And there's no escape; they're trapped at this point. Yeah, they're trapped, but they survived the flooding. Mm-hmm. And but also, they're not drunk by the time that. No. The flooding has succeeded. So that was my first thought when I was watching. This was my first viewing of it. And that was my first thought is they were all going to be shit faced because they're, they're drinking champagne. Yeah, exactly. They were drinking champagne as it was. And then they make a point to stress that it's alcoholic cider that he brews. Right. You you would think that that's where it's going. And again, but- cider's not cheap. A six pack of cider is like fucking 11 bucks. And he just uses untold gallons of it. For what? <laughs> Fox isn't even a meal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and this was also 20th Century Fox that did the movie. Oh, <laughs> uh, this is. I think that around this time is when the uh, Looney and and Meryl Streep have their Oscar clip, where mm-hmm. they have a conversation about the about their relationship, and when uh, Foxy Fox gives us the, t- the titular line, where he's like, "It's almost like people expect me to be quote unquote fantastic." A fantastic Mr. Fox. Uh, and then uh, Meryl Streep says something along the lines of, you are fantastic, but I should have never married you. Boom. Which, explain that line to your kids watching this movie. <laughs> <laughs> mommy stopped loving daddy a long time ago. Daddy, why is mommy crying? <laughs> <laughs> they exchanged the letters we had mentioned, and this leads to um, what felt like the final showdown because Rat Willem Dafoe reemerges. Right, and he's there for whatever reason. Again, his intentions or his motives aren't clear, but oh, he's there. He's there to deliver the letter. But then, but then he. What happens is they think that Christopherson is George Clooney's son, mm-hmm. and then Ash is like, "Oh, you guys got the wrong box." So I he tries to take him, right. and then George Clooney comes and kicks his ass. But it's never well, explained why Willem Dafoe's working for Bean. Oh well, no, that's one of life's mysteries in Wes Anderson's world. Gotcha. It, but it's even what's actually what makes this scene really problematic is that at first Meryl Streep tries to save Ash, mm-hmm. and you think this is her moment. She has a chain that she gets out somewhere, and and you because think, why not? Right. This is gonna be the big battle. Uh, this is Darth Maul versus Qui Gon Jinn. And- <laughs> They, they treat it like that. <laughs> and then 
he very quickly well number one this is not shot competently as a fight scene <laughs> it's i was already having issues with the animation which is pretty jerky mm -hmm. as it is but once they actually get into a fight i don't know what that guy was talking about only god that. forgives esque is this fight scene yeah it's there's a lot of uh blackouts and and just it's almost like watching still frames of, mm -hmm. of a fight and so somehow he beats up Meryl Streep rather quickly and then George Clooney shows up to save the day and then it's like I don't know like it's like looking at three panels of a comic book and then that's it the fight is over because wasn't Clooney the reason he wasn't there to the start he was on his way to surrender right that's right yeah because after after Meryl Streep dropped the bomb on him of saying this oh that's right he had no reason to live <laughs> right so the suicide mission uh basically becomes a save the day mission and he defeats Willem Dafoe and in a rather morbid thing for a kid's movie, just puts his dead body in the sewer and sends him downstream. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say that in a rather morbid moment, he gives him some cider because that's the first, like the that's first... all he wanted from life was cider. <laughs> So I think we just answered the question. That's what he was doing. That's why he was working for the farmer. He was just always drunk and convinced himself <laughs> that he was employed by Farmer Bean. No, I think he was trying to to just be on the on the farmer's good side so he could get some of that cider. And then as after he dies, Ash says he <clears throat> redeemed himself. <laughs> Which Yeah, and they just <laughs> Oh my god. They sent his body down like yeah, Viking style, floating down the sewer. Baby Joseph swaddled in in <laughs> fucking sewer water. Uh, so George Clooney turns this from a suicide mission. He turns this from a Torah, Torah, Torah to a Oceans, Oceans, Oceans thirteen, <laughs> and basically, yeah, the last act of this movie is just a fucking heist film, in which it's revealed actually that the foxes and the rest of the animal community have almost as much firepower as as the men because they start throwing Molotov cocktails or something. And <laughs> Careful, kids. Don't light pine cones on fire because that, that flame will spread quickly. Yeah, they. It, it's a total... It's a, a real shootout while, uh, as I mentioned, while Ash sneaks in to save Christopherson because he's the only one that's small enough to do it. And, you know, in a scene that almost... Uh, is stolen from the Sandlot. Uh, George Clooney, uh, Mr. Fox, kind of pickles the beast. It's the final dog that they come across, and he basically has to create a diversion. Um, yeah, this is probably one of the most... Uh, it's one of the biggest missteps of the movie, because I... I mean, I guess I could have told you even before seeing it happen, but rabbit dogs are not funny. The the way, especially the way that they depict him here. No, yeah, he has the foam all around his mouth permanently, and uh, when he finally attacks Clooney, it's just disturbing. Mm -hmm. it, there's nothing funny about this sequence, but it's clearly being played for. laughs. There's a reason Old Yeller wasn't played up for laughs. You're watching it with your kid, and suddenly he he has the realization of like, oh, when Spot had like foam all around his <laughs> mouth, that was not he just brushed his teeth. <laughs> Uh, Ash successfully rescues Christofferson, and at this point, it's Christofferson, Mr. Fox, Ash, and um, Kylie that need to make an escape. 
It all looks like it's smooth sailing, and then they run into the fucking firing squad from hell. It looks like it's all 108 men just strapped to the gills. And once again, they can't hit a single one of them. Nope. Much like the teachers of this great nation, they're they're going to be strapped to the gills, but you know, without that formal training, they're not going to know where to aim and shoot. I I think we figure out where where in time and where this uh, uh, story takes place. And it's not Trump's America yet. <laughs> not yet. Uh, oh, that's not true. The Owen Wilson cameo pays off here because the Quidditch game that he teaches him. This is how uh, oh, Ash how saves he, the day. Right. That's how he dodges the bullets. That's right. And then he also has like the paddle in the game that helps. Uh, open a door or spring a lock whatever happens to where um mr bean hoisted by his own petard the dog with rabies is unleashed and basically chases all of the men firing at them away yeah uh that's right and then that completes uh jason schwartzman arc because all he really wanted was to be an athlete and, and so now prove I his guess, worth right he kind of does and then because why not there's a fucking motorcycle and side cart that's specifically fitted for a goddamn fox that they jump in and they speed away and just so happens there's a ramp for them to go over as well. Um, I mean, at this point, though, logic. Logic is out there. Yeah. It's just whatever you want to happen will happen. It's like, why not? I mean, you're talking about 108 armed men running away from a rabbit dog. Mm -hmm. How does that make any sense? <laughs> uh the dog can't even dig. <laughs> it certainly cannot. And then we get probably the most overreaching and... It's the collateral moment, right? That's what you're talking about? What's that? The wolf? Yes. Yeah. Well, do you remember Collateral? There's a moment that... You've seen Collateral, right? Yeah, the Michael Mann movie? Yeah. yeah. Uh, when uh, Tom Cruise and J.B. Fox are driving somewhere. It's, it's the, the one where Will Smith plays Muhammad Ali, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Collaterally. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Uh, no, they they get into a wreck. the The car turns over or something, and as they're kind of like coming out of the wrecked car in slow motion, they see a wolf. At least I hope it's a wolf. It might be a coyote. Now, now I'm doubting myself. But anyway, they see let's call it a wolf walking across the the street, and it's just like this weird, really kind of out of place within the movie moment. Mm. Uh, and well, I've seen people like interpret it in so many different ways. Oh, the wolf is Tom Cruise's character. No, the wolf is Mother Nature. <laughs> the wolf is them. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, well, with this, at least, there's been the – this is predicated throughout the entire movie that it's clear Mr. Fox has an intense fear of wolves. Right. But this is a bit too uh, – it's a bit much because he has like this one-sided conversation with the wolf and then gives him the black power – <laughs> the fist in the air and it's um overreaching is how i would describe it yeah it gets really esoteric in a movie that's been very uh visceral and very kind of i mean for better or for worse very grounded in the way it depicts like pun intended yeah <laughs> the way it depicts just life for wild animals or whatever suddenly a wolf appears and he's like jesus mm -hmm. he's just watching them from afar, and then he goes away. I mean, you remove that scene from the movie, and it's really, it's still the it, same. It's the same exact same thing. Yeah, it's not like... The only argument you can make is this is how Mr. Fox finds his inner peace. <laughs> is he, he basically, he makes peace with his... Right, because I guess the one thing we haven't talked about is 
Mr. Fox's arc during the movie, which is, I'm, I'm not really sure what we're going for here. Because on one hand, it bothers me that the movie is all about getting you on the side of uh, an animal. I don't know if you could consider Fox an animal like a prey, but mm -hmm. he's really, he's definitely... He's a pest, right? Mm -hmm. He's going in and he is... Uh, if he's in the wrong. Right. If you're a human, he's a pain in the ass. If you're a chicken, he is a murderer. There's no way that he's in the right. Well, it's, the other thing is, too, he could have stayed in his lane and lived a good life. Right. Yeah. He, especially because he already had reformed. He mm -hmm. was... A, so are we supposed to celebrate the fact that he... No, he's being true to his nature and he's like, well, fuck it. I like to eat chicken. And I like to eat chicken like and that I've killed. Because of that, I've endangered the lives of innocent people. Right, but you know, innocent I gotta, animals. He tells Meryl Streep, "You know who you married," <laughs> and I, <laughs> you better wish you didn't. Yeah, and uh, so then at the end of the movie, after all this has happened, does he? Did he really change? I don't think. So. I think he just got a little smarter, hmm. maybe. But he's still a pain in the ass to everybody involved. Yeah, he's still a fox. He's still a fox, and he's still stealing from people. He's still a bad guy. Well, it's, it's Stockholm Syndrome, because moving along, you know, this whatever scene with the wolf, the closing scene of the movie, is it turns out where they're living in the sewer, it, uh, there's a grate that leads to a supermarket. And basically, everyone else is just okay with stealing now. Right. And it's like, it ignores the fact that there will be repercussions. Do you think that the supermarket is not going to notice? That they have surveillance crazy? cameras there. Right. If you thought that three farmers were, were a problem, mm -hmm. the complete forces of supermarkets everywhere. Well, actually, that supermarket is revealed to be owned by the, the three, three, three farmers. Right. That's the but still, story. now they have them basically quarantined. Well, they know where they are. They gave up their position. That's the thing. They thought they lost them. And... Yeah. But yeah, the the final scene reveals that they're below a supermarket, so uh, ideally they'll never go hungry. Um, and, and Meryl Streep is suddenly cool with everything. Yeah, and she announces she's pregnant again, and everything's great. And George Clooney gives this toast to send us out on the movie. And the one thing that caught my eye was he said something along the lines of, "Y'all are the best bunch of foxes I've ever, or best bunch of animals I've ever met." And Agnes, the little girl from. Ash's class that has a crush on Christopherson is there and there's not one other scene in the entire movie with her and George Clooney yet he's just already he's ready to de decree her standing as an animal yeah it's uh it's weird because also I guess the announcement that that Meryl Streep is pregnant again is supposed to be I don't know is it the more I, fantastic Mr. Fox right well are, are we are we selling Wes Anderson short? And is that announcement supposed to explain why she's still with him? Mm -hmm. He was he was ready to she was ready to leave him. She was done with this bullshit, and then suddenly she realized she's pregnant. And well, I guess we're stealing from a supermarket now. <laughs> <laughs> this is our life. Yep. Uh, yeah, I I I did not care for that. I I did not care for just celebrating the life of somebody that's such a toxic member of society. Mm -hmm. it, it made me feel a little bit like when. In the in the whole Planet of the Apes saga, you suddenly find yourself rooting for the apes, and it's like somehow the movie pulled the trick of making me putting me against the human race. And this also felt like it was trying to do that, where oh, we'll make you care about Mr. Fox and his family because he's gonna be played by George Clooney, and and his wife's gonna be Meryl Streep, and whatever, mm -hmm. and and we'll try to make you overlook the fact that if you were a farmer, or even if you were a chicken, yeah, <laughs> you would hate them. So I. Uh, 
Wes Anderson did not pull that trick. Well, his his uh, mo has never been likable characters, and I think in animated form, it's even more magnified. Right, because you didn't have the the likeness mm-hmm. to get you through that hurdle. Like, oh, okay, uh, George I- Clooney could be playing a terrible person, but he still looks like George Clooney, so, oh, well. I think it was revealed here that the the true crutch uh, that uh, Wes Anderson has gotten by on is uh, prolonged roles by the uh, Wilson brothers. Without it, this movie only has, you know, a little taste of Owen Wilson. And, and not even a real Owen Wilson. He's and not voicing even, some sort of animal. There's no Luke, and, you know, it, this, this movie is just, it's no good. Never underestimate the power of the Wilson brothers. <laughs> You made a bad movie, Wes. <laughs> uh, do you have anything else? Uh, no, I think I think I'm ready for real talk. Let's move it along. Okay, real talk for Fantastic Mr. Fox. All right, so as we mentioned in Hashtag Contrarian's Corner, uh, this film was nominated for Best Animated Feature for both a Golden Globe and an Academy Award. As Cam from Modern Family says, you win an Oscar, you buy a Golden Globe. Uh, Both of those lost up. Uh, Released on November 13th, 2009, so it was definitely placating itself to that award season. Right. Uh, but it's a prestige kids movie. There you go. Uh, budget of forty million and box office of forty six point four. So we'll just call it around forty six. So um, didn't lose money, which is good. And then also the uh, November release date. I at least appreciate that. Like the entire color tone of this movie was all fall and autumn tones. Um, they don't kill enough turkeys, I think, considering <laughs> it was sort of a Thanksgiving release. It was. Um, 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. This was a a big one. And again, about the only Wes Anderson movie I could probably handle doing for the purposes of this podcast. Um, before we go any further and delve into how we really felt about this uh, sociopathic film... <laughs> Uh, there had to be a 7% that didn't care for it, so what'd they have to say, Julio? Uh, well, there's a few quotes here from them. Uh, Jackie K. Cooper from JackieKCooper.com says, Another clunker from Clooney, aided and abetted by Wes Anderson. Damn. That sounds like an anti-Clooney agenda. That does. Uh, Cam Williams from Newsblaze. Ooh, too, if she said clunker, because that was, 2009 was the same year Up in the Air came out, right? Ooh, yeah, no. Well, I gotta disagree with with Miss Cooper here. Yeah. Um, Cam Williams from Newsblaze says a creepy cartoon filled with inappropriate inside jokes that are mostly over the head of the desired tyke demographic. Exactly what one would expect from a claymation vehicle crafted by the cerebral Wes Anderson. Daniel M. Kimmel uh, from New England Movies Weekly. Another one of the vacuous, pretentious, and annoying films of Wes Anderson. Yeah. 
Matthew Sorrento from Film Threat. Critics galore are fawning over Anderson's move to animation. Why all the fuss? The man's been staging puppet shows for years. Boom. Ouch. And finally, Ali Catterall from Film 4. Honestly, this really isn't some kind of transatlantic standoff on our part. But how much longer are we expected to stand impotently by while Hollywood arrogantly Americanizes our every British children's icon? Good lord. Yeah, I think she she has different issues mm-hmm. and nothing to do with the movie. Um, I guess the fox is British in the book. <laughs> uh, as we mentioned in the first part, um, Roland Dahl uh, wrote the story of Fantastic Mr. Fox originally. The screenplay for this was written by Wes Anderson. And, and it was called The Fantastic Lord Fox. <laughs> and uh, Noah Baumbach, uh, which I, was un- I, didn't wear- I wasn't aware Noah Baumbach penned any of this until the... Uh, Closing credits there. I'm trying to find on my phone right now what this was rated. I believe it was PG, which I guess I don't see any reason why it shouldn't be. Well, yeah. I mean, when you go by the MPAA rules and how just, I mean, they make about as much sense as the world that this movie depicts. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, even though there's, it can get gory in a psychological sense yeah because you never really see blood and guts from the chickens that get that's their whole thing but you can imply violence all day long right yeah yeah i i wouldn't feel comfortable showing it it was pg okay see that kind of that doesn't make sense Mm -hmm. i would think pg-13 just because i would think it's scary uh the the rabbit dog and uh well the smoking too is a weird because i always know they're really harsh on tobacco portrayal they were just so confused by everything that was going on i give up Uh, yeah okay pg fuck it (laughs) i just don't want to have to fight with anderson anymore (laughs) just give him whatever he wants uh it's definitely a a movie oh you can do better than that i i heard you laugh a few times no it was fun it it was you gasped when meryl streep just delivered that line Uh, that was that was great um but yeah it I thought it was a fun. We've talked. We haven't talked about this in a while in here, but we've always talked about how cute has a very right. Like, uh, like Avengers is cute. Avengers. Well, that I've changed my stance on that because compared to modern Marvel movies, Avengers is fantastic. Oh fuck you! Yeah, that's, said it. Oh god, that's you. You haven't even seen them. You're just going by the marketing. That's true. Uh, not necessarily for all of it. No, that that's. The last one I saw was Avengers 2. That's the last Marvel movie I saw because, like, just insanely diminishing returns. Like, Iron Man 1, incredible. Iron Man 2, eh. Iron Man 3, ugh. I agree with each of those statements. <laughs> but that's still... Iron Man does not... The Iron Man movie... Thor 2, ugh. Thor 3 is amazing. I've, it's a lot of fun. I've heard you and other people say that. Yeah. But we can talk about the Marvel universe. Fantastic totally Mr. Coming. Fox 2. Even better. <laughs> uh, so when I use the word cute to describe this, I don't mean to be disparaging, but I thought it was a cute little heist film and um, straddles the line of all the Wes Anderson-isms. And there's still stuff in here that is just you would only get in a movie like his. And um, Yeah, you were not a fan of, uh, of The Cuss. No. Which I think is really funny. I, I think it's – I don't think they overdo it. It's just like beating you over the head with, hey, I'm making a kid's movie, but it's still me. Yeah. It, it, 
That's a different thing. They though, don't yeah. overdo it. You're right, but just the whole trope of it. You know, yeah, just like ugh. Uh, I may have issues with. And issues might be even too strong a word. I, I, I just don't know how, how well it works as a kids movie. Um, like I said, I wouldn't bring my kid to this one. Not like really young ones, but I don't have kids, so what do I know? I mean, maybe I would. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but definitely as an adult movie, a movie for adults, I think it works great and. I think to make a movie for adults, but within the trappings of mm-hmm. of a kids movie, that's kind of interesting. Uh, so that that the the cussing and then just the fact that George Clooney's Foxy Fox's arc is it's it's a very adult thing. Yeah. The fact that this guy just can't fight his nature. Uh, he's he is a criminal that got away with it, and he can't avoid going back that's just yeah that's that's, a, that's an interesting little twist ilk and, and yeah you're right it's it's the kind of movie that's filled with moments where if the kid would be the kid watching it next to you would turn to you and be like well what does it mean or why is he doing that you just have a difficult time i guess explaining it yeah in an easy way maybe not i'm not a parent <laughs> <laughs> it's the perfect length uh i think it, it's Within the bounds of what it wants to be, it works perfectly. I think it's a it's a good length. It's a it's a simple enough story that nothing gets kind of overwrought. At the same time, there's not really many questions when it's over. Um, well, you really because it moves really fast, and that's good because you really can't stop and start questioning what's going on because then it falls apart, like mm-hmm. we just did in Contrarian's Corner. I mean, yeah. there is plot holes galore. Oh yeah, yeah, and. But it doesn't matter because it really it just gallops. It yeah. just keeps going. It doesn't really give you much time to think about them. Right. Yeah. It's just like, oh, he wants a tree. Oh, he lives in a tree now. Oh, yeah. he can dig. Well, now he's digging everywhere. And you know, that's oh now they can throw the pine cones and they're like bombs. I did read um in just eye rollingly Wes Anderson fashion. I mean, this is good. It worked for the betterment of the film, but at the same time, it's because it's him, and I already have my preconceived notions about it. But um, the voice actors, for whatever the setting was for the scene they were voicing, he would put them in a surrounding like that. So, like when they were digging in the the caves, like they would go to a cave to record their lines and shit like that. And it's whatever, man. And that's like. George Clooney was actually like biting into chickens and eggs. And <laughs> so that kind of segues into my next thing. They actually killed Willem Dafoe. They did. <laughs> In preparation, they made everyone watch Boondock Saints. And they're like, Are you ready? Go. Um, how is it, in your opinion, that Wes Anderson is able to consistently pull these? A plus list casts. Well, do you think all of the actors involved take these movies seriously? I think so. I think that uh, I I think for one, it sounds like a really fun thing to work on, independently of success, you know, box office success or whatever. Uh, I mean, if you were an actor, you were an A list actor, and they're mm-hmm. like, "Hey, do you want to be in the next?" Uh, Wes Anderson movie, why would you say no? There's there's no moral reason why you would say no. Yeah. <laughs> At least so far. It's not Roman Polanski we're talking about. Right. Uh, and 
it seems also like a challenge in the sense that his dialogue is very particular. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine that's that's something cool for an actor. We're like, oh yeah, I can I can see if I can handle this. Yeah. Uh, now, if it's an actor that feels about his movies the way you feel about his movies, then well, see that's the thing. I, I agree with everything you just said. I think the especially the challenge part of it. Um, that's why I don't care for Moonrise Kingdom, but I really thought I liked uh, Bruce Willis and Ed Norton in it just because that's unlike that. Right. Um, but I think the the part I, of I, me wishes Brando was still alive. Try to get him <laughs> in a in a Wes Anderson movie. Uh, I think a related question is: Would you like living in a Wes Anderson world? No. And and then yeah, the yeah. answer is no. I'm pretty happy watching them from afar. But you know, sometimes you're watching movies and you want to be part of that world. I've yet to watch a Wes Anderson movie where I, yeah. I wish I was part of it. I'm happy just admiring it from afar. It's just his movies are fucking like they're just precious record stores. Like it's yeah, I, I don't I don't know how to describe it. It's it, in previous years I would get way more worked up about him, uh, but now it's just kind of like that thing of. There's no use in spending negative energy talking about how much I dislike something. It's just easier to be like, that doesn't work for me. Um, at the same time, I find it fascinating. Uh, I mentioned Bruce Willis and Ed Norton. Um, when it's not his usual suspects, that's why I really enjoyed Meryl Streep's voiceover work in this. Because, you know, Meryl Streep's not in all of the... West End- okay. Oh, I, I looked it up, by the way. Um She's she was in the Ant Bully. I don't know how big her the heart was. Ant Bully. Yeah. Um. So, who are the usual suspects in this one? Owen Wilson, Schwartzman, Schwartzman. Probably that's the biggest role. That, and then Bill Murray. Yeah. Yeah. But like you said, Bill Murray. Uh, oh, like you said before we started recording, <laughs> Bill Murray's <laughs> role was pretty small. Mm-hmm. And same thing with Owen Wilson. I mean, that's even smaller. Um. And then, well, Willem Dafoe was in. Uh, in a couple of his other movies, mm-hmm. he was in uh, Life Aquatic, and yeah, it's it's interesting. And I think for it, for my taste, for the universe that Wes Anderson tries to create, it's way more tailor made for animated situations. And yet, it, it, this was more of a contrarian's corner comment. But I really can you imagine the live action version of this movie? Yes. Same same actors, but you know, you have George Clooney and everybody else in Fox makeup, mm-hmm. like. Uh, like the kangaroos and Tank Girl, and <laughs> and then that musical number would be just. I see, still in it. <laughs> yes, he's. Uh... Who would he? He'd be a uh, Farmer Bean. <laughs> they got my cider. <laughs> um, that was the original trailer. Did you ever see B movie? Yes. No. Maybe. Well, Seinfeld, B right for one. Yeah, B movie's incredible, and uh, there's a scene in it where he gets like hit by a car and he's on the windshield and like Chris Rock and a couple other bugs or comedians are on there and they're, but the original teaser for that was the actors in like bug costumes. Uh-huh. And so that's exactly what I would think of when I see this or hear about this. Uh, but the stop motion was something else that I thought was just gorgeous. Um, the version that we watched, the quality was very high. Yeah. It, it looks great. Uh, the, I think the first time I Fucking watched it. Fucking review you read. The, the Blu-ray and DVD combo pack. <laughs> Blu-ray, DVD, and digital. Why would they come up with next? <laughs> uh, they, I really like the moment that really struck me. Because I remember when I, the first time I watched it, I was, it's okay. I, I think 
uh, stop motion can be an acquired taste. Yeah. And I might have acquired it since last I watched this when it first came out. Even so, it works for some and not for others. For me. Right. Least, yeah. Well, and I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, back in the super early days when we just started, when we started with Nightmare Before Christmas, you know, I think I might have made a comment that's similar, which is like, I find it interesting. I still am more uh, attracted to just either traditional mm-hmm. hand-drawn animation or CGI. Yep. Stop motion would be like my go-to or it's not something that gets me excited right away. But it looks great. Um, the scene, the big scene between uh, Mr. Fox and Mrs. Fox, when he's, uh, it looks like a waterfall. They're in the sewers, but yeah. the, the background is the waterfall. That looks great. It looks, it looks awesome. like nothing else that you could accomplish any mm-hmm. other way. So, uh, Be taxing, time-consuming, man. Like I said, the, what I read, this movie was built of 56,000 shots. You have to have the patience of Job to do a movie like this, man. Yeah, or just, you know, a lot of money to hire people that will do it for you. That's true. <laughs> and just stare off to the side wearing your comically oversized bow tie. And I like it. I don't like it. I like it. I don't like it. <laughs> Wes Anderson is like, uh, there was when Jonah Hill hosted SNL after he got nominated for an Oscar, they did like this behind-the-scenes video of how pretentious he was now. And uh, his his reading glasses kept getting smaller, and his scarves kept getting bigger. And that's basically every day of shooting with Wes Anderson. Oh, I imagine man. it's like I I hope not. I, isn't he from Texas? Is he? I I don't know. I'm fairly positive. Look it up, but I'll tell you that uh, I actually I having never met him, and I don't even know if I've seen any behind the scenes stuff. But he strikes me as a cool guy. Uh, and by cool, I don't mean cool. fair enough. I don't think I don't think cool as in like I want to uh, like he's the cool kid in the block, but rather cool as in like oh this guy is like his sets I imagine are Houston Texas a lot of fun oh that's cool yeah. that is actually cool um, <laughs> the I don't know he, it, I like the imagination that he has I understand why the quirks might be too much the quirks in his movies might be too much for for some people, uh, but. Especially on repeat viewings, uh, they're very rewarding. I was before we started watching Mr. Fox, we were talking to a uh, friend Reed, mm-hmm. and uh, he was talking about Life Aquatic, and I didn't care for Life Aquatic when I watched it the first time. Really, and, and then I've seen it two or three times since then, and every time I like it more. So it's just I think once you just become attuned to that sense of humor and that. That dialogue, I mean, it's just so Wes Anderson. Even in that's animation. the main thing. Like even like his shots are very uh, uh, individualistic and presentation and storytelling. But it's the it boils down to the dialogue. Yeah, it it just it just sounds like a Wes Anderson movie mm-hmm. every time. So it's it's great. And even the shots. I mean, I think when you watch a Wes Anderson movie, just a few minutes in, you're like, yep, that's Wes Anderson. Yeah. And it kind of felt like that here. Once you got through the the stop-motion novelty, yeah. then it's just like, yeah, it is kind of a, a, a... It's still the same language. The biggest thing, there wasn't a, a really... Um... Like a long, continuous shot. Well, there wasn't a pronounced soundtrack, which is usually what you get that's with true. Wes Anderson. But when it gets to the songs, there is always that, that close-up of... Uh, George Clooney's Walkman, is yeah, it, right, right oh, before that's he right. plays. Yeah. A... Well, they did that the, when they played the Beach Boys. I uh-huh. get around, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So they you got you, us, Wes. Did you like it or did you not like the 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 song? 
the banjo intermission. Did not like it. Oh, dude, that's my favorite part of the movie. It took me completely out of it. Really? No. It's just so funny. It's it's funny, and I couldn't tell you half the lyrics, <laughs> but I think, obviously, I guess the the first step is liking the melody, which I do. I just think it's just the banjo is just so such a fun instrument, I guess, just to listen to, and that. Uh, but then the fact that it's this campfire mm-hmm. where there's like reporters and farmhands and what seems to be, you know, the the right hand man of the farmer. Yeah. They're all like around a campfire and he's singing this song. So the setting is funny. And then of course the just the punchline of the farmer coming in at the end of the song is like, What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> that was good, but yeah, the I don't know. It just kind of, for me, it came out of nowhere and kind of took me out of it. But overall, I enjoyed it way more than I usually do at Wes Anderson movies. Yeah. Uh, we're still we're still due for a, an actual, I guess, a traditional animated movie. We've mm-hmm. done two stop motion by now in 54, 55 episodes. My God. Yeah. Yep. We're, we're lacking in animation representation. That feels like a lifetime ago when we did a nightmare. Before I know. Christmas. I was just thinking about that earlier. Uh, there's just it wasn't planned, but I guess that's we just hit a second stop motion. So did I read correctly in that you you do enjoy it this movie? Oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah. I don't know if it would be my favorite Wes Anderson movie. I definitely because I've only seen it the one other time, mm-hmm. and uh, I wasn't sure. I wasn't crazy about it when I came out of it the first time i definitely liked it more this time i laughed more i think the first time i was just taken aback by all the contradictions yeah you know there's like oh the really funny cerebral jokes and then you have the very uh just borderline raw, slapstick like, well no and also just the, the like them eating the chickens killing yeah. the chickens and uh the rabbit dog i keep bringing up the rabbit dog but to me that's a visual that's i mean it works in the movie because it's disturbing, but it's also not what you would expect in that kids movie. Yeah, or... uh, yeah, I wasn't kidding. Like the last movie I remember of uh, aimed at kids that used a a rabid dog as a storytelling piece was Old Yeller, right? From yeah. many moons before I was born. And how about that Old Yeller remake uh, with Wes Anderson at the helm? <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> I'm sure Old Yeller. Old Yeller it would be would... based current day, and the main character would have to use a musket to take out the the dog. <laughs> While I don't know some Simon and Garfunkel song plays, so what would you give it? I don't know, like a B. A B? That's that's pretty yeah. high praise coming from Alex Mattis. Well, I mean, that's even the thing. Is. Yeah, that's the only thing that could be factored into that is just my personal. It's not even a bias. It's just his shit doesn't work for me. But for visually, and then for the story it wanted to tell, it succeeds well beyond expectations. So yeah, ninety three percent of critics apparently. I can't really argue with that, especially like I said, just visually based. And um, yeah, it's I at no point during this, the closest I came to like letting out an audible ugh was the banjo scene, and that concluded quickly enough that it didn't really bother me too much yeah and your favorite scene would be the 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 Meryl Streep I shouldn't have married you yeah moment. J- well like you said also just because it looks so good yeah it looks great but it's also just such a dark realistic sentiment to mm-hmm. sneak into that movie well I also really like the part where George Clooney evades the rabid dog and he has the look on his eyes like the possum, uh-huh, and then uh-huh. kind of. I'm okay. I, I thought that was really good. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, this is uh, a good time. How four stars. I was for about me. to say, yeah, yeah, four stars. Going all the way five. with it. Yeah, yeah, no, I. Oh, I, you I do five, five stars. That's yeah, right. Yeah, that's so right. four stars. It's, I mean, it's not like life changing or anything. Is it the top of the of your Wes Anderson rankings? Um, it's the only one that I've seen more than once. No, that's not true. Uh, Life Aquatic, I've seen more than once. Yeah. Uh, I probably enjoy Life Aquatic more, but I think this one is more successful in everything it tries to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give both of them four stars. So really. <laughs> Not enough to put it over the edge there. Yeah, but also you know, it just it just goes to show ratings are meaningless. Yeah. Oh, so, they're absolutely subjective. Yeah. The only thing I can tell you might with, as well be giving it five hundred space plone. I don't know. <laughs> uh, five uh, five hundred shot salute or something. Oh, <laughs> well, hey, careful. <laughs> Twenty eighteen America. How about three flaming Dr. Peppers. There you go. Um, and a Coke for a chaser. <laughs> uh. The the only thing I can tell you with certainty is that uh, Darjeeling Limited mm. is my least favorite of his. It's quite that one I did not irksome. enjoy. Yeah, uh, all the other Wes Anderson movies I've seen, and I, I think I've seen most of them. I've I've enjoyed, and like I said, I think the ones that I've seen only once, I get the feeling that I would enjoy even more on mm-hmm. rewatch. Yeah, Darjeeling has the part. Oh, I don't it, know if we've talked about it. It makes the... like my fist like clenched when I was thinking about it. Where uh, I don't even know if it's the same thing you're thinking about. Where Owen Wilson takes all the bandaging yep. off. Yeah, I guess I have to. I guess I have some more healing to do. Yep. Throw the soda at the fucking screen. <laughs> Fuck off. But we dipped our toe in the, in the creek here with Wes Anderson. Uh, and also with animated movies, so not to say Wes Anderson nor a full animated movie couldn't, you know, emerge at some point here on the the podcast. Uh, as in the Tank Girl episode, we laid out kind of the the landscape from here. Oh yeah. Um, and have we finalized the summer of Travolta? Well, I mean, we have the we have the lineup. We just haven't announced it, so so I guess it gets announced now. Yeah. So um, uh, following this, we've got our Kevin Smith twofer. Uh, we've got catch and release and chasing Amy sprinkled in somewhere. There, uh, will be our WrestleMania bonus episode, man on the moon, uh, man on the moon. And I, I bet some people are like, how is that WrestleMania related? Jerry Lawler, baby. The Andy Kaufman feud. Uh, the, he plays himself, right? In Jerry the, Lawler does. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say Andy Kaufman. <laughs> Anything is possible. <laughs> it's when true. It comes to, I, I'm still waiting for Trump to remove the mask and reveal <laughs> that it's Andy Kaufman. Um, but then, yeah, you just like cry with relief. But yeah, <laughs> and, and the laugh track just plays in every TV. Just everyone in Congress just standing ovation. <laughs> uh, but that is going to carry us into the summer of Travolta, which Julio has taken the meticulous time and concentrated effort to put together this lineup. Oh God, this is this is a, I I'm just shaking just reading it. It's the the so brother amazing. the good brother's shaking right now. So Julio, yeah. what does the summer of Travolta look like for us? Okay, so so summer of Travolta much like like just a summer blockbuster movie season. It starts in May. So uh, it starts May 1st uh with episode 58 and uh, that is going to be Battlefield Earth, oh, which God. is probably one of his lowest. It's a zero percent, I think. A zero one percent. I don't know it's like really low, and everybody just universally despised. Yep. Uh, it might be the equivalent of our modern times episode where we just don't have any <laughs> anything good quotes. to say. Yeah. Uh, have you seen it? No. Oh man. Yeah. Oh, that's this is gonna be so great. I've seen it once, <laughs> okay. and I've read the book. I got the book for a for a dollar at a dollar store, and I was like, why not? 
There you go. And then, and then I found out why not when I, when I finished <laughs> the book. Um, May 15th, Pulp Fiction will be episode 59 because how could you not do Pulp oh, Fiction? Man. It's his comeback movie. Um, and then we'll have a bonus episode every month. So our bonus episode for May, uh, and they're all the bonus episodes are musicals. So the bonus episode for May is Hairspray, which Excellent. you've seen. Oh, Hairspray is great. Yeah. I own it. Yeah. Uh, June 1st. It's uh, episode 60, which is a gray area episode. So, of course, we have a gray area movie, which will be Phenomenon. Oh, that's a gray area? That's a gray area. It's Tremendous. A, I think it's exactly a 50% in Rotten Tomatoes. That's wonderful. Yep. Uh, June 15th, uh, episode 61, Look Who's Talking To. Oh. Not the original, because the original is, I think, like gray area. But mm. Look Who's Talking To is in, this, in the teens. Yeah. Uh, bonus episode for June is Grease. Yes. Which you'll you'll get to hear me talk about Greece <laughs> at length. Uh, July first, episode sixty-two, face off. Excellent. I'm surprised that it's in the nineties, but it's uh, in the nineties. It's awesome. Oh, well, yeah, I'm just surprised that that critics oh, embraced that it. Yeah. yeah, that much. Uh, July fifteenth, uh, episode sixty-three, basic. John McTiernan directing the reunion, the Pulp Fiction reunion of uh, Samuel Jackson and John Travolta. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a good movie. At least if you go by Run Tomatoes. Uh, our bonus for July is Saturday, Saturday Night Fever, which I haven't seen. You haven't seen that? I haven't seen oh, Saturday dude, Night Fever. Oh, dude, that movie's wonderful. That's Are we going to watch the PG version or the R version? Oh, we're... Well, I don't know. We If we go by... We usually go by theatrical releases, not it's special the R cuts. Version, so yeah. the R version, yeah. We're going all in with... Uh, is it like the date rape in the car? Oh, yeah. There's uh, some there's some uncomfortable stuff in that movie. I've been spoiled. <laughs> Um, August 1st, episode 64, is Blowout, which I haven't seen, and maybe you haven't seen. I haven't seen Blowout. I know it has a Criterion release, though. Yeah, I I think uh, our friend Eddie Strait owns the Criterion. Oh. Uh, August 15th, episode 65, Swordfish. Ooh. (laughs) That was the same year Halle Berry won an Oscar that she was in that. So she did uh, Swordfish and Monsters Ball in Mm -hmm. in the same year? That's... Like Whiplash, it was like two thousand, I think. Yeah, I'm not sure. I just know I wasn't here. I know it was important for boys my age. Swordfish that was because I, you know, it was supposed to be, but I found myself underwhelmed. I'm sure we're gonna talk about it. You yeah. talk about like her boobs. Yeah, and like I'm not meaning to say that her boobs are underwhelming. I'm just meaning no. that all the well, build up. I was about to say yeah, as a 13 year old, 14 year old boy, Halle Berry's boobs is great, but then as it like. An adult watching it, it, the scene is written so like there's no reason she should right, be topless. Right, exactly. So she has like a like a magazine, and then yeah. she lowers the magazine. And I think it might have been one of those things that just signify your transition from adolescence to adulthood mm-hmm. when you're like really excited to see this, and then when it happens, you're like, "Wow, I'm not excited about it anymore." Maybe I would have been even more excited last year. Oh, I I was when it originally happened, <laughs> but yeah, rewatching it, uh, it's not like Wild Things where everything artistically makes sense. <laughs> Oh well, that's wild things is in a different category. <laughs> That'll be our like hundredth episode or something. Um, yeah, I'm down. Uh, finally, we have our big uh, double sized finale on September first, which will be Get Shorty slash Be Cool episode sixty six. Oh, we're doing both of them. Yeah, because one is really high and one is really low. So damn, dude. We'll have to figure out a way to break that up. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, but it it will be when we release it, it mm-hmm. will be released. At, yeah, because there's no way we're spending like four hours okay, watching good. movies and then potentially at least three hours recording. Yeah. 
I was gonna say this is not. Rob we'll Zombie. have to rethink. The, <laughs> we'll have to rethink this idea. But my God, what a summer of Travolta it that is gonna be, be. But it's also like I think I mentioned in the last episode. Such a variety of filmmakers and genres, and uh, the one thing you can't say about John Travolta is that his career is boring. Nope. So it's uh, a bottomless gold mine <laughs> at some points and you know it goes both ways absolute poison at others so. yeah it's, it's it's bottomless and also there's no ceiling <laughs> there there's just no gray area right with this guy. It's just, you just kind of have to let him carry you with with um, just hop along for the ride because it's going to be a bumpy one this yeah. summer and and i even like i could not include there were so many more movies that were just left on the cutting floor oh i imagine so, yeah uh, perfect. That one with him and Jamie Lee Curtis. That would have been a good one. Yeah, I could. I, we could talk about Travolta movies till the cows came home. Urban Cowboy. <laughs> yes, Urban Cowboy. Uh, Mad City is a personal fave that could make it. That's uh, him and and Dustin Hoffman, mm-hmm. and that's uh, Travolta plays this kind of. Uh, he's like a security guard mm-hmm. in a bank, and he takes everybody hostage. And Dustin Hoffman is in the bank, and he's a reporter. And just the whole thing is kind of like a bottle episode in the bank. Uh, taking a Pelham one two three. Oh, that's that's like later Travolta. That's, yeah, he had given up on the dreams of uh, getting another Oscar nomination. Oh, absolutely. And then what was the other one? Oh, Staying Alive, the sequel to Saturday Night Fever, directed by one uh, Rocky Balboa. Maybe there'll be a winter of Travolta in the future, <laughs> and we'll just hit all these other ones. We'll have to get someone to help us out with Photoshop to do the Winter Is Coming, but with Travolta. <laughs> um. So that's what's on the docket. That's what the future holds for us through September. Uh, usually this is where we go to plugs. I don't have anything for this week. Do you have, Leo? Not exactly a plug, but... Uh, well, I guess I do have a, a plug because I did watch something. I've been moving, so my limited free time has been spending just... has been spent unpacking and mm-hmm. just trying to make my fiancé happy. <laughs> <laughs> but... The I did manage to watch Mudbound, which is nominated for Best Screenplay mm. and Best Supporting Actress uh, at the upcoming Oscars. That was really good. It's on Netflix, so easy to watch. It's the one about the uh, it's a white family, a black family back in the uh, World War Two days, and there's a lot of like racial tension. It, mm. It's it's just good. Um, yeah, either one of the Kevin Smith ones or potentially the WrestleMania one will. I'll have finished Breaking Bad by that point, so we can have our big Breaking Bad discussion. But yeah. that's that's pretty much what I've been up to watching wise. That's that's good. You could plug like episodes of Breaking Bad, but no, yeah, you need to get to the very end. Yeah, you have sixteen left, right? Yeah, I, I just finished the first episode of the last season. That's the awesome. with the big magnet when they're trying to get the laptop. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that at uh, at Com- I didn't see the episode, but I I was at Comic Con. The one time I've been to the San Diego Comic Con was when they announced. Uh, well, they had their first Breaking Bad panel there ever, mm-hmm. and it was just before season five started. So they had the whole cast, and they, I thought, and I'm sure I wasn't the only one, that they were gonna show the season premiere, mm-hmm. and all they showed was just the commercial for season five that people had already seen. Uh, they still got a standing ovation because by then, you know, everybody was, it was writing just so ramped and, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. Gotta love Jesse, but the, the the magnet, the yeah, bitch, magnets. <laughs> <laughs> so usual shit. Uh, opening and closing tracks. Uh, the festive years opening track is Last Stand. Closing track somewhere in '99. Um, if you have any any explanations to the many plot holes we pointed out in Fantastic Mr. Fox, or if you are just a Wes Anderson fan that doesn't think that we're excited enough <laughs> about his career, 
Uh, we are the contrarians at gmail.com. And that is like we are we are the contrarians at gmail.com. Yeah. W E A R E T H E contrarians at gmail.com. The most difficult word to spell you didn't spell. Exactly. It, it, they, that's what Google's for. It's our website too. We are the contrarians. <laughs> contrarians. Uh, anything else before we sign off? I think I think that's it. We're done for for today. That is for today. We live to fight another battle. Live to kill another chicken. Yeah. Uh, but that's gonna do it for us on the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. We'll probably record one more time before this happens, but mm-hmm. so Crazy Ex Girlfriend, you know, the show that I plugged God, you, here yeah. so many times. Well, they follow going, this man on Twitter, you read about oh, Crazy yeah, Ex Girlfriend. You'll see me. Well, I've gone overdrive recently because this third season just finished and they announced an eight city tour of uh, none of those cities were Austin. And uh, I was pretty bummed that I wasn't going to get to see it. They're basically, you know, just going around singing the songs of mm-hmm. the show and uh, and then. I, I was trying to figure out a way to make it to the Chicago show mm-hmm. because I'd figure out that if I went on, did you even know that there's such a thing as the mega bus? Yeah. Well, I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, I had somebody on Twitter had to tell me about it. I, you can get to Dallas for like $2. Yeah. You yeah. can go to, uh, you take, it's a $1 to get to San Antonio, then $5 to get to Chicago. There you go. Yeah. I mean, you have and to it's be like, the, the length is the same, but they're much more accommodating and nicer than Greyhounds though. I didn't know that. I thought that there was. They told me there was a uh, free Wi-Fi, and I was mm-hmm. like, "That's really all I need." That yeah. and you know enough leg room. Uh, but anyway, so I was planning to do that, but then the Chicago show sold out within seconds, and sadly, it was mostly scalpers because then you would yeah. see those those tickets being sold for ten that, times. That the shit price. pisses me off. As as you can imagine, as a fight fan and wrestling oh, fan, oh yeah, you have to deal dealing with that, with that constantly. Yeah. yeah, I was bummed. It's been a long time since I've had that problem buying tickets online. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't go to as many events where I would buy tickets online, you mm-hmm. know, like that. But it was just, I had the day off from work. It was the day that I moved. Like, I'd moved, like, most of my furniture. So I'd finished, the movers were done by 11, and mm-hmm. the tickets were on sale at noon. So I was sitting in front of my computer from 11 to noon, just refreshing. Oh, man. At noon, exactly, it shows up. I, I select one ticket. I click purchase, and then it will, it, it just wouldn't let me do it. It said that it wasn't available. That Jesus. So the happy ending to the story is that, she added more shows because nice. she found out that most of the the tickets had gone to scalpers. Uh, she changed venues, added more seats and everything. And then she said she was going to try to do a show uh, on South by because she was coming for South by. So she had, she has an Austin show now scheduled and I got tickets for that. Hell yeah. So it all works out. I still it look does. forward to the mega bus journey someday. Somewhere. Oh yeah. Sounds like an adventure. You and I can find an excuse to go to Chicago. That'll be whenever there's a wrestling show in Chicago that you want to show me. Okay. <laughs> uh, a and very special Contrarians episode. We uh, can record on the Megabus. There you go. And then yeah, all the people, shut up, the both of you. <laughs> I don't know why the Chicago people have a New York accent. but It's a New Yorker going to Chicago by way of Texas. <laughs> <laughs> Makes perfect sense. Don't yeah. question it. It's written by Wes Anderson. Probably. God.